Um, and then the Lord willing, we'll get back to Joseph. But, <clears throat> and it goes right along with what Jean shared. Thank you, Jean. So good. And it, it's going to lead into our time of partaking of communion together today. So just for a few minutes, I want to share with you from Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, this is the parable of, it's, called, it's known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. <clears throat> Probably a lot of you are familiar with this parable, and the Lord just brought me back here for a fresh look this week because I needed it. You probably never need to forgive anyone, right? Am I the only one <laughs> that ever has the opportunity to forgive? It's an opportunity to forgive. Someone offends you, annoys you. Always an opportunity for growth. It's a test. Let's you know how Christ-like you are becoming, how far you have to go. And we are all in process. If you have said yes to the Lord, you have entered into a relationship with him through which the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And now in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews says, uh, legally, you have been just perfected forever. You are legally, you are in righteous legal standing before God. That's your position before God. That's what the atonement, the cross has done for you. But it also says you are being sanctified. So it's also a process of becoming Christ-like. And so God puts us in relationships for a reason because rubbing shoulders with people lets us know whether or not we're done yet. That's the way I like to put it, whether or not we're done yet. I think of some people as a cake tester. <laughs> yeah, have you ever baked? Anybody, any bakers in here, you ever use a cake tester? I haven't talked about this for years, but I wrote about it years ago. It just occurred to me. It's like, man, some people are just, man, they're, they're like a pokey cake tester. Like they just come along and they poke you. It's just like this annoyance. And But you know what? God ordains those people in our lives. He really does because it lets us know if we're done yet. Just when you, when you stick those cake testers into that cake, you pull it out of the oven, you want to test it for doneness. If it, you know, if it comes out gooey, gooey, it's not done. And so sometimes God allows people in our life to poke us, and it's a test. And so we react in this way that's like, ew. <laughs> we react all ooey gooey. We just, we, we fly off the handle and snap back. And it's an indicator that, okay, I, there's still work to be done in me. Uh, I'm not done yet. And so God puts us back into the furnace of affliction because he's good. And see, what he's actually doing with you and me is he's making us bread to feed the spiritual, spiritually hungry. And it's no good to feed someone a half-baked loaf of bread. So God is in the process of making us well done, right? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. You have remained joyfully in the furnace of affliction. You've allowed me, you've allowed the heat in your life to do its work, and now you are ready to be bread to feed those around you. But if we refuse that process and we continue to be this ooey-gooey person that's just reactionary, well, God can't use us. Yeah, that's the gospel truth. And so I don't know about you, but I, I want, I realize 
I need to become more Christ-like. Because I'm not necessarily always the one in the wrong, but that's not the point, right? How many of you are right, usually? Look, the problem is not being right. It's okay to know you're right. That's fine, and usually we are. I mean, look, every single one of us are not going to sit here and say, yeah, I'm, the, I'm always wrong. The problem is we have this, this need as a result of the fall to make sure the other person knows we're right, and that's the problem. That's the problem. So let's look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Uh, let's see. Verse 21, Matthew 18, 21, reading in the New King James. Uh, then Peter came to him, Jesus. Peter's always got some interesting things to say. And Jesus, every time, takes it as a teaching opportunity. He says, Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? How, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, as I said last week, just because this is so important, always a disclaimer. When I talk about forgiving someone who has wronged you in matters of abuse, yes, forgive. Yes, remove yourself so that God can deal with that person and you are no longer enabling them to persist in their sin against you or anyone else, okay? So that's the disclaimer. But this is really dealing with the everyday offenses that you and I, that are just common to life. Unless you live in a cave or all alone on an island, we're going to always have these opportunities to forgive, right? And so he comes to Jesus, Peter does. He says, how often shall my brother sin against me? We'll say, annoy me, offend me, tick me off, test me, frustrate me, ignore me, neglect me, abandon me right? These are, these are these just these everyday offenses. Uh, how often shall my brother or sister sin against me and I forgive him? And then he makes a suggestion. What do you think, Jesus? Seven times? Now, that might seem comical unless you know that there was a tradition. The rabbis taught actually that three times was the limit that you were required to forgive someone three times, and after that, you didn't have to forgive him anymore. So he's coming from his tradition that he knows, but he wants to find out if Jesus agrees with this religious tradition that says there's a limit to how much you have to forgive someone. Jesus answers him. says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And he's saying that as a figure of speech. He's saying, Peter, it's unlimited. You actually always have to continue to forgive the person. There's no point at which you can say, you know what, I'm done. And maybe Peter had just said that to someone. Maybe it was a fellow disciple. You know what, I'm just done. There's no winning with you. I don't have to put up with this anymore. I'm done. And besides, I've reached the three limit, three times limit long ago. And so I'm good. I'm justified. I, I got a pass, 
right? Like I got scripture, I got, I, I got the rule, I got the pass, I got the ticket, I don't have to forgive you anymore. And Jesus is saying, no, Peter, actually 70 times 7, meaning you have to keep on forgiving. And so then Jesus tells a story, a parable, and this is what he tells. Verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a cer certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let's just think about the parallel, the symbolism here. Here's a king, and these servants owe him. So in this story, who do you suppose the king might be? God, right? Jesus, he's the king. And then who are the servants? There you go. Okay, you're with me. So he had begun to settle accounts. One was brought to him, verse 24, who owed him 10,000 talents. To appreciate how much this is, it's an amount that would have been impossible for this person to ever pay. I've, there are different ways that commentators illustrate what this 10,000 talents would have looked like. I read that it would have been uh, a, an army of, with the talents, the money, uh, piled up on, on these um, carriers for five miles. Um, I read that it's the sum of an entire province. Uh, it's in the millions. It's in the millions. Now, why this? Why am I having an issue with this again today? Um, and so that's how much this man, this servant, owed the king. It was an amount that was just absolutely impossible to pay. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. But he was not able to pay, of course. So his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. In other words, the king is wanting him to know the enormity of his debt, right? And what it's going to cost him if he can't pay. So verse 26 says, The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. So it's important, when you read a parable, it's important to know what parts um, are an analogy to the truth and, and what parts are just part of this story. So obviously God doesn't demand, it doesn't say to us, you know, if you don't pay your debt, I'm going to throw your whole family in prison. This is just part of the story. He's, he's using this, he's saying that to show us the seriousness of the debt that this servant in the story owed, Right? Um, and okay, so it says, uh, "Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all." So this servant is penitent. He's 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 desperate for forgiveness and mercy, right? So it says in verse twenty-seven, the master of that servant. Now note this: was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. The motive for the king forgiving this servant this huge debt was compassion. Compassion, compassion, compassion. Why? Because this king was also human. And perhaps at one time in his life, this king felt the burden of, of owing someone. He felt, he felt the weight of, he, he just full, he, he knew his own humanity, and that's why he was moved with compassion. So it's out of this compassion that he forgives this huge debt owed to him. 
But verse 28 says that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. By comparison of that army with a five-mile-long army carrying this this 10,000 talents, by comparison, this hundred denarii would have fit in your pocket. Okay? I believe one denarius was was a day's wage, I believe. So, you know, a few months of pay. That's what this guy who's just been forgiven this impossible debt, now he meets a fellow servant who owes him a pocket full of change, basically, by comparison, right? And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat and said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me. And I will pay you all. So interesting, the exact same words that that servant had said to the king. The exact same words. Have patience with me. And I will pay you all. Somehow I'm going to try to make this right with you if you'll just have some patience. He was forgiven. Now here's someone saying the exact same thing. If you'll just be patient with me. Somehow I'm going to figure out how to make this up to you. But how does he respond? Verse 30 says, he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? I'm going to read that again. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? So he gives him a reason that he should have compassion. It's because, hey, I had compassion on you. And look at the debt I forgave you. It would have been impossible for you to ever begin to pay that back. And now you're going to hold this guy to this little pocket full of change. You're going to throw him in prison because he can't pay you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother. His brother, his brother, his brother. Sister, his mother, aunt, his uncle, his pastor. (laughs) His trespass. My Father will also do to you. Do what? Says he delivered him to the torturers. Forgiveness, unforgiveness will absolutely torture you if you haven't noticed. You're the one that gets thrown to the torturers. They go free. You ever felt the torture of resentment, of just the weight of requiring someone to pay? Even just just so desperately wanting that person to at least understand what you did. Understand what you did. Own it. It's this requirement of payment that actually ends up torturing us. 
as a result of unforgiveness. Costs us our sleep. Many times it costs us our health. Physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health for sure. Torture. So Jesus is saying in this parable, look, if you're finding it hard to forgive someone, and if you have this driving need to make sure they understand what they did to you and that they say it and that they own it, just remember, God never actually required that of you, except he did, but it was more like this. Father God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness of my sins, past, present, and future, for my whole entire life. Because if I don't have that, I'm not free. And God wipes the slate clean, just like that. Just like that. He doesn't require any payment, any, any um, flogging, right? Any penance. He, he just he wipes it clean in an instant. He says, you know what, my son, I'm, I'm going to give you my son as a sacrifice He's going to make the payment for you. And for the rest of your life, you can then be like this servant in the story. You can go free for the rest of your life, but you've got to understand the enormity of what I forgave you. If you go to Colossians chapter 2, a couple more scriptures, and we're going to go to communion. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13, Colossians 2.13. Paul is writing uh, to the church in Colossae. This is also to the church in Wellsburg. And he's giving us some doctrine, some theology. He's explaining to us just what has happened at the cross. Colossians 2.13 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses, that's your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. The uncircumcision of your flesh is a, is a figurative phrase that simply means at one time you just, you were this person that was just defiled by sin. You know, your, your base nature, we call it the flesh, ruled your life. And every decision, everything you thought or said or did you lived according to the uncircumcision of your flesh. It's a very poetic way of saying, you know, you used to live according to your base nature at one time. But he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Just think about that. I'd like for us to just savor these words, having forgiven you all trespasses. When the Bible says that God has forgiven you all trespasses, it actually means all. Past, present, and future. It means that you can walk in forgiveness. It does not mean, and make, let's make this clear, it does that. It doesn't mean, oh, God's always going to forgive me so I can do what I want. No, this is for the person whose heart wants the Lord and wants to please him. This is for the repentant person. It's like, hey, look, I know I'm going to mess up. I'm still in process. But I have this promise through the blood of Jesus 
that says, whatever I'm going to screw up and whatever way I'm going to mess up this week, God has forgiven me already of all trespasses because he knows my heart that the instant I do it, I mess up. There's going to be this voice that comes at me and says, ah, look at you. Look what you did now. And you're never going to change. And there's always going to be trespasses. And we've got to get this word strong in our heart. We've got to know it. We've got to walk in this freedom so that we can be that like that servant and always know, you know what? I owed 10,000 talents. It was a debt I never could have paid. And God wiped it clean in a day. And I walk in that. And I will never, ever again be indebted to God in such a way that I live from guilt, torture, self-torture. That is what God has done for you and me. So it says, uh, having forgiven you all trespasses, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. More correctly in the Greek, it's the certificate of debt. God wiped out this certificate of debt, this handwriting of requirements that was against us. Look, some of you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, have literally had a handwritten requirement that we've placed on someone. Sometimes it's literal. Sometimes it is a text or a message or something spoken. But it's this requirement that the person pay somehow. And yet when we will look in the word of God, it says when it came to us, God wiped that out. God didn't hold on to some handwritten requirement, some certificate of debt holding it over my head for the rest of my life. So he wiped that out. It actually says, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Whatever offenses you have caused between you and God, whatever way you have offended God, the Bible says if you will receive his forgiveness, he has actually taken that out of the way of his relationship with you. He's taken it out of the way because he wants nothing between you and him. And yet, I actually have the audacity sometimes to let offenses and trespasses Get in the way of my relationship with someone else because I'm holding this certificate of debt over their head. You will understand. We'll say what you understand that you did. And until you do, I'm holding this handwriting of requirement against you. But God took mine out of the way. God nailed mine to the cross, and yet, having been forgiven 10,000 talents, I'm still holding on to this pocket full of change that someone owes me. God help me. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he did that in verse 15, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, these are, these, these are the evil spirits in the spirit world. They are disarmed through forgiveness. 
You want to have power over the unseen forces that are coming against you in your life. Forgive somebody. You will disarm them. Just wipe out the handwriting of requirements. Someone owes you some explanation, some, some apology, some, some, someone owes you this. You feel this need to have someone understand where they went wrong. I get it. Look, I get it. I know what it's like to be owed that hundred denarii. And it feels so huge and important until, until I go to the cross and I see this lifetime of debt that was mine. And he's nailed it to the cross because he doesn't want that in the way of me and him. And he's absolutely, completely forgiven me and let me go free for the rest of my life, free from guilt, free from the torture of wallowing and, and condemnation. And yet I can't do that for a second some teeny little nano trespass <laughs> that someone has committed against me. What does the prayer say? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do we actually think about that when we, so let's go there. I want to close with that. Do we actually think about that when we pray that prayer? I mean, how many times have you been to a funeral or a wedding or a church where it's repeated every Sunday? How many times do we say that and not actually realize that what we are actually saying is, God, I want you to forgive me to the degree that I am forgiving others in my life right now. <laughs> We're actually saying that. We're saying that. I wonder how much you and I think about those words. Then Matthew 6 said, when you pray, don't, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. They, they mean nothing. They're, they're just words. He says, when you pray, Matthew 6, 9, say this, our Father, let's say it. Say it with me if you know it. Let's just pray it from our heart right now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this morning, as we approach the Lord's table in communion, I'm going to invite you to just spend some time examining your heart, as the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 11. And 1 Corinthians 11 Verse 27, Paul writes these words. He says, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, 
and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment for himself, to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That word sleep is actually they die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. This passage is telling us that when we approach the Lord's table, as we're going to do in a few minutes, when we partake of this bread and this juice representing Jesus' body, broken for us on the cross, his blood shed for us, that we need to first examine our hearts and examine, am I holding on to any handwriting of requirements against anybody? That, there are different layers to this examining yourself. First, we need to discern the Lord's body and recognize what it is we hold in our hand. Like, this is not some routine. This is Christ's body and his blood given for me. And I do not take this lightly. This is for my cleansing. This is for my healing. This is for my forgiveness. But it says, make sure that you are discerning it says, don't, it says uh, they, some people dr drink, bring judgment to themselves, not discerning the Lord's body. The Lord's body, remember, is also the body of Christ. This word discerning means recognizing. So, Father God, this is, what, this is how you examine yourself and how you approach the Lord's table. Father God, first of all, I thank you that you gave your son for me on the cross. And I recognize that these elements... What I'm saying in effect as I partake is that I cannot live without Jesus, that, that your, flesh, your flesh was broken for my healing and my wholeness, and your blood was shed for my cleansing and my forgiveness. But then the other layer of truth is I recognize that those around me who are partaking of this with me are the body of Christ, and I will not hold any handwriting of requirements against any of them. Nor against any other person in my life that you are asking me to forgive 70 times 7 if I have to do it again and again and again. You paid the price with your life. You paid the debt. You paid the debt. That 10,000 talents owed by that person that we struggle to forgive, Jesus paid that debt for them on the cross. Dave, could I ask you and Nathan to come to speak to the elements of communion? Um, First Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.2, Fran is saying, uh, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen, amen, amen. 
That's the gospel. That's the power of the cross. His, his death atones for our sin and, 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 um, and setting us free and realizing the compassion that he had for me. That's the compassion from which I can forgive others. So as these elements are being distributed, I would invite you to take some time and examine your heart before the Lord. I'm going to read the scripture and we're going to partake together. I'll tell you when. Maybe there's someone you've been, over whom you've been holding a certificate of debt, a handwriting of requirement. I would invite you to consider that as you hold that motto cracker in your hand that looks so marred and torn, was made that way intentionally to represent the body of Christ. Because his body was ripped and torn for you, you can then rip up that handwriting of requirement that you have against him. He's made it possible. He paid the debt. He paid the debt. He paid their debt. He paid your debt. The Bible says in another place, owe no one nothing except to love one another. It says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. When you understand the amount that you have been forgiven by God, you can so easily have compassion and forgive those who owe you or that you think owe you. Take one more minute to examine our hearts before the Lord. Father, would you give us the grace to just tear up those certificates of debt, those hand, that handwriting of requirement. Father, give us the grace and the compassion, the compassion on our fellow servant. Give us your compassion. Father God, we cannot do this on our own. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We need you to help us rip up these certificate of debts, these certificates of debt. We need your grace to empower us to forgive this morning, and we thank you that you have first forgiven us. And it's from your compassion on each of us that we can then have compassion on those who've hurt us. 
He's made a way, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on this same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I want to say this, if your heart is not where it needs to be with God, and if you, if you know that you are just not there yet, I would invite you to please feel free to re- refrain. This is not to be taken lightly. And there's, there's no judgment. You know, God is working on every single one of us. You know, there's, there's no judgment. There's, there's the freedom to refrain and say, you know what, I'm just not there yet. I want to take this seriously. I don't, I don't want to disrespect this. I don't want to take this lightly. But if you are in need of forgiveness and you are so ready to run to Jesus for that compassion, his arms are open wide for you today. If that's you, let's partake of the bread together. Verse 25 says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Jesus, thank you for your blood that you shed for us, that washes us clean of, of our trespasses that we've done against others and of the unforgiveness that we have held against others. Thank you for your cleansing power through your shed blood this morning. First Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What are we proclaiming this morning? Because he died, I can live. Because he paid the price, I can forgive. I can freely forgive. Because he had compassion on me, I can freely extend compassion on others. No payment necessary. Nothing's going to stand in the way. I'm just going to take that handwriting of requirements. I'm just going to take it right out of the way. I'm going to nail it to the cross where my debt is hanging, nailed to the cross. And I'm going to do that for others. Amen. I wonder if we could just close with that song, uh, Gratitude. Dave, the lights. Um, Let's stand and sing this song that we this morning and